Hello, everyone. Welcome to JCV Art Studio, Season 5. My name is Joanna, and I am the author of The Unraveling and Dealer's Child. And I've received my second set of edits back from my editor. And I'm going to start tackling that this afternoon. So today, first of all, happy Easter, everyone. I know when, by the time everyone listens to this, Easter will have passed. But I hope everyone had a good Easter vac um, holiday. Today, today I have David A. Bowles with me. David is the fifth generation of his family to be born in Austin, Texas. His parents were both pioneer settlers, or were from pioneer settlers. His great-grandmother, Elnora Van Cleef, was the first child born in Austin on April 14, 1841. His award-winning series, The Westward Saga, is based on her family and their 100-year journey from Pennsylvania to Texas. David and his dog, Becca, enjoy Texas from October to May. And then when the last blue bonnet has lost its bloom, they pack up the RV and head for cooler weather, telling, telling and writing stories. David, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, Joanna. So I, I got to ask, whose idea was it to have, uh, it almost looks like a picture of you on the cover of your fifth book, Sheriff of Star County. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, you you want to know how that picture came about? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have no way of knowing. Uh, Will died in about 18, 1860, and that was long before my time <laughs> on this earth. And uh, I had no idea what he looked like. Uh, but my mind, I began to write, and, and I just had this idea in my mind. And I'm, you know, the Internet's interesting. Uh, a fellow found me found out about my books and yeah. that I wrote a story about Will. And Will had a brother named Fenwick that yeah. was about 10 years younger than him. And fortunately, uh, cameras got to Austin, Texas about that about 18, a little after 1850. And of course, Will's time there, you know, in Austin was around eight, the 1840s. So we had no picture of Will, but we had this picture of Fenwick. Okay. And that is actually, it's an old, it was an old photograph of Fenwick. And, and we took a picture of his brother Fenwick. And he turned out to be the sheriff of Travis County during, in, during the 1850s. And so in, interesting uh, that you asked about that picture. And yes, I do wear, I do wear a handlebar mustache. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cool. That's cool. So, you know, and I know that writing is not for the weak of heart. So I was wondering, what was that initial spark or idea that made you want that made you want to write a book? And from the outset, did you know that you'd be writing a series? I, in reality, all I did was I researched this family and genealogy for a good 20 years, and particularly specializing in this branch. You know, we all have several lines, 
And but this one had so much back in the back in the early settlement days. The stories that I heard, uh, I made notes, you know, from grandparents and that sort of thing, and from an early day. Uh, but I did the research, and I really wanted somebody else to write the book. Okay. And I I spent quite a few years interviewing and talking to authors. One of them being H. W. Brand, the other one Cecil uh, Murphy, and they both told me the same thing. They said, "David, you're not going to find any. You, you've researched this so much. You know the characters. You know what the story's about. Only you can write this book." And I had no experience other than. Yeah, I had a company newsletter that I did and a few things like that. I did some writing, some op-ed stuff, and and actually did a little wine. Uh, had, a, uh, uh, had a monthly column in a wine in a, in a wine book, gourmet wine book, and you know that was that was a piece of cake. But writing a novel, the dialogue and all this, uh, I, I wasn't ready for that. But I finally decided if it was ever going to get done, I was going to have to do it because nobody else, you know, they said, you know, nobody could write it but me because I'd done the research. And now that I've done it, I realized they were right. And I've had two families come to me and said, I want you to write a series like you did for your family, for our family. And I said, I can't do it. <laughs> You're going to have to do it yourself. <laughs> And I'm a big believer in it. I was the only one that could really, uh, really do it, uh, yeah. Joanna. And so uh, for lack of an author to do it for me, I had to do it myself. And once I got into it, I loved it. And I had more fun writing these five books than anything I've ever done. Yeah. When you start the uh, the research and you start to learn about those characters. Yeah. You're 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 in. You're in it. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So can you tell us a bit about the Westward saga? It's and, sagas. It's with the Westward sagas. And I've yeah. actually trademarked that US trademark on that Westward sagas. And I'm known as the author, trademarked author of the Westward sagas. And it's a story about moving west. And the first book is Springhouse that took place in Greensboro, North Carolina. And the first thing I hit was somebody that read read the book and said, hey, you call it the Westward Sagas, but Greensboro, North Carolina is not in the West. And my answer to that is, yes, it was the West, when, <laughs> 1750. <laughs> when these events took place, and there, it was, you know, 20 years, almost a quarter of a century before uh, the the American Revolution. <laughs> so, it, yes, it, it it was the West then, and so the story is, is they keep moving West. And I like to tell everybody that the Westward Saga series is not a bang-bang shoot-em-up. It's about how hard the times were and how the families had to persevere in those times and moving west, always moving west. And I always wondered why, but it was for land. They kept moving. They they kept offering free land. Texas offered free land uh, to to get entice people to come from the east. And that's how the west 
That's the way the West was won or lost, depending on where you were <laughs> at the time. But uh, the Western sagas, like I said, is five books. It starts 1750, and the fifth book ends up in 1850 with the settlement of the Compromise of 1850, which redesigned the borders of Texas. And I, I just for your information up there, there's a, I have a map that shows where that went. And Panhandle of Texas at that time went up your way all the way to the 42nd parallel, which is the Wyoming border. Okay. A lot of people aren't aware of that, but uh, I, my book tells the story of that. But uh, the, it, it, it's a story of my family moving west. Okay, because I know um, it's kind of the opposite of my husband's uh, history, where his ancestry comes from the French from France, landing in the, just, I'm not going to get into the whole history, but instead of going west, his great ancestors came from the Hudson Bay area and the fur trading. And what they did is his great grandfather came out east to the BC coast, right? right. So it's kind of, it's it's interesting, I find, what families do. You know, for oh, that would make a great story. Yeah, I, I've talked to him about it, and I have some. Uh, I have some, you know. I, he's told me some stories, you know, and uh, I'll bet you somehow was involved in fur trading. They were. They I, were. That's about all there was to do it. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And and to the point where they were almost one of his great ancestors were almost like. Um, I don't want to say fighting, but almost trying to take on the Hudson Bay Company, right? So, and that, that was a, <laughs> man, that you're, you're talking 250 years ago or more. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's when they, yeah, uh, and that's, you know, you know, that's where, where all the great beaver came from for the beaver hat. Yeah, and then some of his family then either came out east, or some went to the U.S to New Mexico, you know, so it's, it's like you said, those times and what people did. So, uh, so can you, let's get more into your book. Can you tell us um, a little bit about your latest book, Sheriff of Star County? The Sheriff of Star County. Will, Will, his name was William Witherspoon Smith and the family all called and his friends called him Will. And he was a Texas Ranger, and he was involved in the war with Mexico. And after the the, the battle in Mexico, uh, the Tex the border of Texas had changed from the Nueces to to the Rio Grande, and there was a big area of Texas about the size of the state of Tennessee that all of these Mexican people they were Spaniards before before the Mexicans took over in, in 1824. Some of those people, had, you know, uh, 300 years had served under Spain and then the Mexican government, which both spoke uh, Spanish uh, uh, and they understood the customs and this Mexico was a, was a Catholic, Catholic country. And suddenly they wake up and that 
little bit of that land between those two rivers suddenly becomes the United States after the signing of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, and that was in 1848. the governor knew that he had his hands full with those folks down there, that it, it was remotely, it's kind of like you're out back in the Yukon. There just wasn't a lot of people there. But the few that were, weren't real excited about being governor, governed by the United States or the state of Texas. And uh, he, they picked Will, appointed him. I don't think he, he probably had a clue what he was getting into, but here's a Long, the only lawman in an area as big, Star County is as big as at that time was as big as the state of Tennessee. And he he had all that area. There wasn't a whole lot of people, but it grew. And and uh, he was able to to get along. He couldn't speak Spanish, but he managed to to get along and and found people to help him. And it, it, it it's a true story. And it, it's a beautiful story of how how it all worked out. And and it the the then the compromise of eighteen fifty changed things again. But that's where I kind of let my book my book stop there. And the next one's gonna be the continuation. When you're writing do you like you had mentioned about, you know, put adding dialogue, putting in dialogue. Do you start with the history first and then merge other ideas with it? Or do you get an idea and see how it merges with the history? I find out, well, if you really want to know, I'll give, I'll give you the method that I use. I take a big old yellow pad and I I, I go through the history and I'd create the history during that time span of what what happened, whether my family was involved or not, all that was going on. And then I sit down and, and I write the members of my family that were involved, you know, you know, living during that time span. Yeah. And I work them into these epic events in American history. And in Will's case, he was the First sheriff of Star County. Now he was not elected. Down there, they they, they don't have him on the records because he was never elected. He was appointed to be the sheriff till he got the county organized. And then once the county was organized, they elected their own sheriff, and he went on about his other other business. But uh, it, it's uh, I try and I try and make it as historically accurate as I can. And uh, people that know my work know that. When I'm when I give the date, time, and all the details, that's factual. And then sometimes I work in, I had to work it. Everybody said I had to put a little sex into books. So I, I Will has a couple of romances <laughs> along the way. And but he never he well, I won't tell too much story, but he, he uh, he's apparently, apparently he's really liked by the ladies. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. So when I was reading, he's at David Landing. And one thing that struck me is you mentioned that during this pe- this period, paper money was worthless. 
pretty well, whether it was Mexican or, or U.S. Well, okay, so I'm Canadian. Why was it worthless? Like, why? I, I, I was wondering why. Well, both governments were were in pretty bad shape after that war. Yeah. And uh, Texas was especially in that sh- bad thing because Texas was mainly the state involved with the war with Mexico. But uh, the Texas money had, you know, before Texas became a state, there was still some Texas money around there. And it it, it got down to, I mean, it was a joke. You could <laughs> You could wipe your nose with it, you know, and and maybe it might be worth 10 cents on a dollar or something like that. It was was pretty worthless unless they had coins, you know, and with the coins, the silver was always, and and they're about the little boy, he says, you know, he he says, he wants, he wants silver. Yeah. Domingo was a little boy and he, he was, he, he wasn't going to work for uh, paper money, U.S. money, Mexican money or any other. And, and, uh, he was pretty smart kid. And, and, uh, yeah, I'm glad you read that first because you see where it starts. Now I got to tell you about Davis Landing. Yeah. uh, The guy that owned the land was named Clay Davis, a real man who, became a state senator and it was well known and he, and he actually built that town of Rio Grand City by way of marrying uh, <laughs> he fought in the Mexican American War and he met this lady who just happened her her uh, husband or husband her father owned millions of acres on both sides of the Rio Grande River and so uh, they named that rancho it was a rancho Davis. And uh, eventually it became Davis Landing, where the boats could come in. Rio Grande River is not a really big river, but they were able to get boats up that, uh, the, you know, the paddle, paddle wheelers. They were able to get them up, up the river. Okay, good. The other thing I noticed is you mentioned Scott-Irish. Scotch-Irish, yes. Yeah. I've written several stories about Scotch-Irish, and I know where you're going with this. Please, it's, a, it's important. What's again? What it's it's totally different history. So, what what is Scotch Irish? Well, let me tell you what Scotch Irish is spelled. It's spelled both ways. You know, like Scotch whiskey, and also Scots. Like say S C O T S. And on my website, uh, you'll find a story on there. It's uh, about. <laughs> about the Irish and the Scotch-Irish, and it, it tells a story, but I'm going to tell you that what what happened, you know, uh, old King James goes and decides that, you know, those Catholics over there in, in Ireland were just getting kind of rowdy and kind of taking over things, and he he wanted to implant some, some uh, Protestants. And so he decided that these Scotchmen that were in the lowlands uh, they weren't doing very well. They were in the poorest land in Scotland. And he offered them a deal to go to Ireland, a beautiful Emerald Island with all the green grass that the cows could eat and milk and honey. And they would give them an inexpensive lease for 40 years. And uh, my my family bought that idea <laughs> and went to Ireland. and. Uh, but, you know, King James and his men didn't bother to tell all these, there were about 250,000 uh, uh, Dutchmen 
that took that offering and went to Ireland. But King James didn't bother to tell them that there was a bunch of Catholic people living on that land that didn't want to give it up. So they got into a long war that went on really until about 25, 30 years ago. And in fact, there's an anniversary date coming. And when those leases, first of all, they had to fight every day of their life for uh, to survive because but people were wanting to kill them, and vice versa, they were they were retaliating. And there's a war going on all the time. And then that the, that forty year lease ran out. The government jacked the, the leases up. They didn't own the land; they were leasing. And but they got the opportunity. There's a fellow named William Penn who was, uh, had started Pennsylvania, uh, decided that he'd send word to them if they wanted to come and come as indentured servants and come to the United States, uh, if they would indenture themselves to pay back the cost of getting their family over here uh, for 10 years, they'd work for him. And uh, then he would give them 40 acres of land, uh, a rake, a hole, and Whatever farm utensils, and that's and that's how. So, what, but one, how they got the name, and that's your question. But I had to kind of give you back there. When they got over here, uh, and they uh, Ellis Island wasn't there at that time. They came into the port of uh, Philadelphia, and in Philadelphia, the guys would say, and you had to realize the United States was a hodgepodge of Germans and ever, you know, ever nationality, and so they didn't understand things a lot of times. So these Scotchmen, <laughs> they, uh, they they get off. The, they've lived in Ireland for 40 years now, but they're still Scotchmen. So when they get off, they say, you know, where are you, where are you coming? And they say, well, I'm Scotch. Well, well the boat just came from Ireland, you know, and they say, well, I, I'm Scotch-Irish. And that's how it started. Okay. And they put it down. And then everybody, everybody's on the boat. The first one came across. They put the Scotch Irish. They just did ditto, 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 you know. And so they all became Scotch Irish. And the that word product. And in the story that I have on my website about, you know, you can't be Scotch and you can't be Irish. It tells the story of how that that came to be. And uh, interesting in that story, I wrote that people in the UK, uh, they just can't believe when you say that. They just, just like you, you're in Canada. What in the world are they talking about? <laughs> how can it be Scotch Irish? Yeah. And that's how, because in their heart, they were Scotchmen, but they were coming after 40 years of living in Ireland. And they just wanted people to know that they were Scotch. They just happened to live in Ireland for. For 40 years. And that's and James Webb, a United States senator, wrote a wonderful book about the Scotch Irish. And you might have, because you had that interest in it, you might have the James Webb's book was called um, Born Fighting. Mm -hmm. And it was a really best. He was a senator when he wrote it, but he really goes into some great detail. And I know with my Scotch Irish family, they loved to fight. And, that, you know, they came here and got right in the middle of the war uh, uh, with the revolution, you know, uh, breaking away from uh, from Mexico. And, uh, I, I mean, they fought they won one battle after another. 
So I, when I read that book, Born Fighting, I really understood what Scotch Irish was all about. Okay. <laughs> all right. All right. I get the sense that you're sharing history through storytelling. Like, and I think that is so important that we don't lose our history. Do you, is is that? Do you feel like like that's one of your goals, one of your accomplishments, Joanna? That's how it started. Yeah. Sitting on the front porch, telling stories. You know, I'm a long way from through on this story. And, you know, it it's it's a chronological book starting about a, a quarter of a century before the American Revolution. A family was displaced from where they lived because of the American War, the, the Revolutionary War with England. Moves right on through War of 1812, and it gives... It's not just, but it's not about war. It's how the war affected these families, and it affected them for generations to come. So uh, that's kind of what the story's about and how I did it. <laughs> you you know, there's no going back to Ireland. <laughs> you spend 10 years working for nothing, you know, to, uh, to pay off your... <laughs> and not only do you... And that was a thing that surprised me there when I found out that... that that you know, my parents uh, were indentured servants. You know, and some people say it's like, well, they were slaves. You know, well, no, they weren't uh, slaves because they had that option. They didn't have to do. It. They were they were indentured servants of their own choosing, but the circumstances they were living under created them to have to do that which had to be, they had to really think about that. Ten years of working for somebody, hard labor, you know, and, and to pay your way off, to get here to the United States. Yeah, yeah. So with the stories you're telling me, I'm wondering, well, you, you've hinted at this earlier, what the feedback has been from your fans reading these stories, because it sounds like you're now having more people approaching you saying, can you write our story? Yes. Yes, and and it, it, it's it's very unusual. Uh, I I'll tell you at one time I I thought that I was maybe a for, doing something as a forerunner, but if in reality I found that Zane Gray, who wrote thirty nine books, he used his family uh, to write those uh, first. His first uh, bestseller was uh, 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 Riders. Of the writers uh, of the Purple Sage, and he just had you know he had thirty nine books. He ended up he and his wife uh, created, I believe, it's Fox Studios, you know, and uh, a movie. And they were they were silent back in those days, but uh, that was his family. But he didn't use except in the first book. He used their names in the first book, but he the others he never used their names again. And apparently he got some trouble back from the family because it was pretty contemporary. He was writing pretty contemporary books. So, you know, it's like only maybe two generations back. I've not had anyone uh, say any uh, any family members, except a few of them were just shocked that they didn't know. Uh, as an example, in the first book, uh, General Cornwallis captured Adam Mitchell, who would have been my Five, four great, four great grandfather in the American Revolution and threw him in jail. 
And what makes a wonderful story, his mother would be my sixth <laughs> great-grandmother, <laughs> Margaret, uh, goes and barters whiskey to get uh, his, her her son released from British. <laughs> makes a great story. And you know what? It's turned out to be a true story. Yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, that, I couldn't have created that. And it's in that in that story is because I wasn't there, so I don't know the exact details. But what's in there has turned up to show been has been proven up several times. And it's the book is called Springhouse because during that American Revolution battle of Guilford Courthouse, the family, the children, women and children, sequestered themselves in the in the Springhouse. So that's why the book is named Springhouse. What did you like reading as a child? I read everything. I read the agriculture reports. <laughs> I did. I, you know, if there was something to read, uh, my father was a, a reader. We had newspapers. He, I never was. I, he literally, when he ate the morning newspaper, he would devour it you know, and read everything in it and then set it aside and come back in the evening after his work and he'd sit down, start reading the classified ads, you know. And I was almost as bad. I kind of broke that newspaper habit because I used to spend an hour or two a day reading reading the newspaper. But I I could just about read anything as long as I feel like I'm learning something. And uh, but I I I all genres, uh, and I'm amazed at some of the memoirs that I like. And there's a lot of them that I don't don't like. I'm not big on memoirs. That's probably my least uh, likely to read, unless it's somebody that's really done something. I want to know a little bit about them. I agree. I'm 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 not big. How do I say? Unless it's someone very, and I use this word famous loosely or has made some sort of an accomplishment, I very rarely read memoirs. And um, I have no intention of ever writing my memoir because I look at it as, I am not that interesting. <laughs> I'd, rather, I'd rather write fiction. You know? Thank you, Joanne. I, I'm the same way. I so what's your next project? Just wrapping it up here. What's your next project? What are you working on now? Well, I, I I've got the sixth book in the in the uh, Westward Sagas lined out. I haven't really started writing it yet. I've been so involved in in the introduction of, of the fifth book, which just came out in February. Uh, but in addition to that, I'm I'm right. The family we had a ranch up in uh, northwest of Austin. The family had a ranch up there uh, that was in the family for four generations. And uh, some interesting things happened uh, on that ranch and to that ranch. And I want to write that story about the, uh, now it'll be a nonfiction. And and it'll be my first work at a nonfiction, but I think it'll fit right in. I'm not going to, it's not going to be a part of the Westward sagas, but it's uh, about what happened to the people and my, my great, my grandparents and great grandparents, and what happened there. And I'll just tell you what happened is the land was condemned by the uh, by the federal government 
and the state of Texas to build a reservoir. And they went from having a very large ranch to a very small ranch once the lake filled up. And the only thing they knew was ranching business. And they had to end up moving, and, and they moved to the next county and away from the water and, and uh, started another ranch. But anyhow, it's kind of interesting. It's a beautiful lake there now called Lake Travis, and it's beautiful. But people don't stop to think about all the people that used to live there that lost their homes, their land, and that sort of thing to make that, to make that reservoir. Yeah, in BC, we have something similar. Okay, well, David, anything you'd like to add that I haven't um, covered well, or asked? I just you? like to tell people where they can get my books if, yeah. if your listeners are interested. Uh, my website's David A. Bowles, B O W L E S, author.com. And there's two David Bowles in Texas. One of them writes children's books, and I, I write the Westward Sagas. I'll make sure I have the website in the show notes as well. Great. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, David. Well, you have a good day. Well, thanks for having me.